0: And it's a night that I just I cherish every year, but then it's gone in a second because Christmas Day comes. And Christmas Day is a completely different feeling. It's energy. It's presence. It's visiting family. It's crashing at night and not wanting to wake up for a few days. The 26th is actually a day of recuperation, right? It's a blackout day. You don't work. And you say, listen, I don't even care if it is a beautiful 75-degree sunny Miami day. I'm going to watch a movie at 1 p.m. Because you're exhausted. The whole season, all the parties, all the events, all the things happening. And you're exhausted at the end of it. But this night, the simple, beautiful, nostalgic night, the stillness of it, I love it candlelight, the, the intimacy, but then it feels like it's gone in a second, and you have to wait a whole year for it to happen again. That's one of the, the tragic, you know, things that, uh, that goes along with being a human being. It's one of our, uh, our really tragic realities, is that the things that we want to hold on to, the things that we want to cling to, the things that we want to experience day in and day out, constantly slip through our fingers, we want thing, We want to feel connected, we want to feel filled, we want to feel engaged, we want all these things for our life, and we work hard for them, and we strive after them, and we think about them, and we, we write the notes down, and we give the goals, and we got the resolutions coming up, and we have all these things in life we want to experience, and it feels like constantly the things that we desire most are slipping through our fingers, and we have to try to grab them again, and this is certainly true of faith. This is certainly true of the experience of faith, right? Faith is really a a journey of of ebbing and flowing in and out of deep connectedness to God. Sometimes you're in the valley and God feels really disconnected. We talked about that last night as we were closing our Advent season. Sometimes you're on the mountaintop, but even when you're on the mountaintop and you feel really connected with God and you feel filled spiritually, you know that after the mountain you're going to be back in the valley at some point, you're ebbing and flowing in and out of that. For many of you here, I'm sure your spiritual journey has been a journey of just seeking that fulfillment. You've never really found it, and you're, you're running after it. And every time that you ask the questions, and you work through things, and you go to different experiences, you talk with different people, it kind of just slips through your fingers. This is why oftentimes in the church, there's terms that we use. We say that I'm feeling spiritually dry, or I'm feeling burnt out. Or even, I'm just feeling indifferent. You know, I'm just, I'm not feeling that connection. I'm, I'm spiritually hungry, but I'm not necessarily full. And one of the interesting things is that when we feel this way, we typically have a, a response mechanism that triggers in us that we begin to engage in so that we can fulfill again. We can be filled. We can experience that connectedness. And that's this. We get religious. That's, that's typically our, our, our MO, that's how we operate. We're feeling disconnected from God, we're feeling uh, like we want to experience something, it keeps slipping through our fingers, and our typical go-to is we get religious. Here's some of the ways. A lot of us, we say, listen, I, I do, I'm not really engaged in church, I'm not really engaged in my faith, but I get religious on Christmas Eve and Easter, because I, I want to I feel something. I want to engage in something. Or maybe church is something that you attend or faith is something you think about when you're feeling really spiritually dry. So you get religious by maybe attending church or beginning to pray more or beginning to, to read your Bible or whatever it may be. For those of you in the church and constantly in the faith and you're, and you're seeking to grow in your relationship with God, it's the same thing for us, right? It's when you feel disconnected, when you feel like you're missing out on that spiritual uh, connectedness to God and you're, you're hungry, you get religious by saying, you know what I need to do? I need to put more responsibility on my shoulders. I need to do more for God so that I feel valuable to God. And then it seems like if I feel valuable to God, then God has to bless me with an encounter with his presence. And he has to fill me because he's going to see all the things that I'm doing for him. And that's when you get burned out, right? The other thing that we do is we get religious by creating our own religious system. This this is a really attractive idea. If you're searching for something, something's missing, you want to feel full, you want to feel connected to the creator God of the universe, and so instead of following uh, what the faith outlines in regards to Christianity, or even possibly another faith, what you tend to do, and I was here at one point, is you say, I'm going to create my own religion. I'm going to pick and choose the things that I like, and I'm going to follow those, because I believe that I know for myself what's going to make me feel satisfied. And what's going to make me feel full. See, this is a, what we do. We, we get religious. And I want to I say this right now. A lot of you are like, man, yeah, I mean, I do do that, but I don't know if I would say that I'm religious because to say that you're religious is like a bad word in our culture, right? Uh, you, what do we say? I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, right? I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. But listen, to be religious isn't a bad thing. Like it's it's not a bad thing to 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 come to God, to come to church when you're sensing that whatever frequency that is, it's it's not wrong to desire to to lean into your relationship with God. See, to be religious is simply just to say I'm devoted to my faith and I want to follow its practices. That's what it means to be religious. It's not a bad thing. And it's something that we should all engage in even though it's kind of like a negative term. But here's what happens. Because our, our go-to is to get religious when we're feeling disconnected from God, even if we don't want to identify and take on that label, what happens is we can miss love in the process. And that's what the message of Christmas is. The message of Christmas is not a message to get more religious. It isn't a message to start upping your church attendance. It isn't a message to start doing more things for God and performing for Him more. It is a message of love that God has come for you. You didn't do anything and yet God has come for you. He was born for you, the savior of the world, the the uncreated God has, was formed in Mary's womb and born some 2000 years ago and we're still celebrating it because Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection changed the world. And that's why we're here. It's not a message of engaging and performing and getting more religious. It's a message of love. um, Brennan Manning is an author. He wrote this incredible book. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. I encourage everyone to read it if you've never read it before. He has this great quote. He says, My deepest awareness of myself is that I'm deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. My deepest awareness of myself, of who I am, is not what I can offer God. It's not what I can perform. It's not my obedience. It's not my church attendance. It's, it's nothing. It's just that I'm loved by Christ, and I've done nothing for it. That's the message of Christmas, that God came for you, Emmanuel, God with us, and you didn't do anything to usher God here. He came for you. And so as we kind of briefly unpack this transformative truth of Christmas tonight, I want to look at a passage that you probably were not expecting to hear At a Christmas Eve service. Typically when you go to a Christmas Eve service, it's Mary and it's Joseph and it's Jesus in the manger with the animals and then the shepherds come and the wise men. They they show up, but really in reality the wise men come years later, but in all the movies and all the nativities, they're right there in the whole midst of the story and it's just like, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, but I I don't want to jump into that story because our tendency is just be like, Yes, heard it now 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 times because I hear it every year on this annual religious holiday of Christmas Eve. And so I'm going to go with a very obscure passage, a passage that speaks about Jesus when he's 12 years old. In the book of Luke, after the birth story, this story comes right after. And this is the only place in the entire Bible that we get a glimpse into Jesus' life when he was a boy. We see Jesus' birth, and then we see Jesus when he enters into public ministry when he's about 30 years old. But this is the one place where you see him when he's a boy. So that's what I want to look at tonight briefly. In, in verse 41, you can read on the screen behind me, here's what it says. Now his parents, this is Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So they had this kind of Christmas Eve tradition as well. Every year, they, they took this this pilgrimage to Jerusalem from Nazareth, it's, it's in a different region, so it was a long journey actually, it would take several weeks, and this was, you know, this was their vacation. They would take several weeks, they would go to Jerusalem for this annual religious holiday, and they would engage in it, and they would, they would spend time with friends and with family, and they would go to a worship service, and maybe they would light a candle, they would do the whole thing. And then they would head back home after. This was a, a annual tradition. It says that when he, that's Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. So they went to Jerusalem. And when the feast had ended, when the holiday was over, they were returning back to their city of Nazareth. But the boy, Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went on a day's journey. So they obviously came to Jerusalem with this big group of friends and family, and it was a caravan, and they, they, they partied together, and they had dinner, and they celebrated, and they had a great time. It was time to leave. They headed back home, and there was a big group. So Mary and Joseph thought to themselves, well, Jesus is 12. He's, you know, he's hanging with his friends. He's with the camels. I don't know what he's doing, but, you know, he's surely in the group. But then... They began to search for him. They're a day out now among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. Can you imagine how that felt? They're a day out of Jerusalem on the way home with their friends and family, thinking Jesus is just with the camels and his friends. And then it's like it's been 24 hours, and we haven't seen Jesus. Where is he at? So they go around. They're talking to people, trying to find Jesus. They can't find him. Now it's like full panic. So they head back, a day's journey back to Jerusalem, one of the largest cities in the area, bustling city. we got to retrace our steps. we got to figure out where our son is. Where is Jesus? So they get back to the city, and it takes them three days to find him. Can you imagine how Mary and Joseph are three days to find Jesus in this city. It says this, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him, that's Jesus, were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished and probably angry. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. They they come back to Jerusalem. They spend three days looking all over, frantic. I mean, you can imagine the interaction between Mary and Joseph, right? They're looking at each other like, where's our son? Where is Jesus fighting back? tears. I don't know where he is. Let's check the first century playground. So they go to the first century playground. Like, no, he likes the swimming holes. Let's go to the swimming holes. He loves that bakery. Let's go to the bakery. He's going, they're going all over the city, and they can't find him anywhere. And then at some point, they sit there after three days, and they say, we should check the temple. Let's go to the temple. See, when you're reading this text, if you're like me, you think to yourself, wouldn't that have been your first stop? Like, what we know and what we believe in Christmas is that Mary and Joseph were told by an angel that Jesus was the Son of God, the Savior of the world, Emmanuel, God with us. So if you lose Jesus and you come back to Jerusalem, where do you think the Son of God is going to be? In God's house, right? In the Father's house. Like, that's the obvious place. Why were they looking in the first century playground, in the bakery? Like, go to the temple. Look what Jesus says. He says to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? Like, this is the obvious place that I would be. I'm the Son of God. This is my Father's house. I'm here in His presence listening and teaching, people are astonished at this 12-year-old boy. See, I don't know what you brought in here tonight. I don't know what kind of anxiety you're feeling, stress, doubt, fear, indifference. I don't know whether or not this is just an, an annual tradition to go to Christmas service. It's nostalgic. It's a time of, of remembrance and reflection. Some of you hear this is your church, and so... You're here because this is an important event, and you want to be with your church family to remember and to celebrate celebrate Christ's birth. So we all bring different things here tonight, but I, I think many of us can relate with Mary and Joseph, and here's how we can relate with them. Regardless of what we're facing in our lives, regardless of how we feel and what we're going through and where our church is, or whether we're searching for faith, we feel like we've lost Jesus. Feel like it's really hard to find him. That it, he just sometimes slips through your fingers. You can't hold tightly to him in the way that you desire. Many of you, that's your whole story. I mean, that's your journey of faith, is that You've been asking questions and you've been processing doubts, which is a good thing. You've been asking the right questions about Jesus. You've engaged in different things and you've searched out different stuff to find fulfillment, but it just keeps slipping through your fingers and it feels like you just can't find him or whatever it is you're looking for. And many of you here, I know you, you know Jesus, and you love Jesus, and you believe in faith and the reality of who Jesus is, and yet you relate with Mary and Joseph. I relate with Mary and Joseph. Oftentimes it feels like you're not connected in the way that you desire. It just falls through your fingers. And, and what do we do? We begin to frantically run around to try to find answers, to try to find Jesus, and, and what our, our typical method is, is as I said earlier, is we begin to get religious. And so here's what we do. I, I, I want to find Jesus. I want to be connected to Jesus. I want to find that joy and that hope and that peace and that strength. So I know where I'm going to find Jesus in my discipline, in my obedience is where I'm going to find him. Or you think to yourself, you know where I'm going to find Jesus? I'm going to find Jesus in my goodness. I'm just going to work really hard at being a good person because there is where I'm going to find him. Well, I'm going to find him in my positive thinking. I'm going to work at being more positive in my thinking, and I think that's going to help me because sometimes I'm too much in my head. I'm going to find Jesus in some traditions that I'm going to engage in. You see, the message of Christmas is a very obvious message. The message of Christmas is that Jesus is here. He's Emmanuel, God with us, God with you, God for you. Jesus is here. The problem is, is that we look in the wrong places. We run around frantically searching in places that are not the obvious place. The obvious place is that he is here before you in faith. Not in your religious devotion, and he is here for you and with you in faith Even if you fail constantly in your religious devotion, he's here for you. Through faith, the presence of God is made available to you. See, the promise of God coming into this world as a child and and being nurtured by Mary and Joseph and being raised until he was 30 years old and he spent these years of public ministry preaching forgiveness and love and the message of the kingdom, so much so that it eventually cost him his life as we'll celebrate Easter weekend, but he was buried, and three days later, he came forth from the grave, and it transformed the whole world. Everything changed from that moment. The disciples' lives changed, the first century Jewish uh, world and kingdom, and the Roman kingdom, everything changed. And the message is very clear. God has come for you so that you can find him here in faith. You don't have to run around and do anything anymore. You don't have to uphold some certain standard. He is made available to you, and you've done nothing to earn it or to deserve it. And my prayer for myself and for all of us in this Christmas Eve is that we would just stop for a moment and analyze the very obvious reality that Christ is available to you and that There's nothing that you need to do except for come before him in faith, to return to him. The very obvious place that he is, in his father's house, as he sits at the right hand of the father right now and offers you relationship and connectedness to him, regardless of what you bring into this room. It's the message of Christmas. It's a message of love. You're invited into God's love tonight. Would that rest in your soul? Would that bring you and wake you up to the reality that God is with you and he's for you? Regardless of what you're going through. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray uh, this prayer of spiritual strength that comes from uh, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. And so as I read uh, this prayer, will you pray along with me and just listen to these words and know that. These are words prayed over you and and words that you can pray as well to God the Father who is made available to you in Christ tonight. Will you pray with me? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.